How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug, Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jetsy. Tim, how's it going, sir? It's going good, going good. That's yeah. it? Yeah, that's it. Wow. Have you ever just had, like, wow, what? Right. Do you remember Flight of the Concords? Mm-hmm. And uh, one of their bits was they had a rap, they have rap battles. One of them is they had the hip hop autobus versus the rhinoceros, and uh, they come in with uh, "I'm the rhinoceros, and my lyrics are bottomless." Is I that think, it? I vaguely remember that. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. I didn't watch it. None <laughs> of it. But I knew. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. That's what we're going for. It just didn't hit. Yeah. That's not bad, though. That's not bad. I mean, this is only our second episode that we've recorded today, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But I'm very excited to get together today, not only because we've got four games to talk about, including a game that I attended this past week. Nice. Got lots of stuff for top of the hour, but we've got ourselves a notable cover athlete for today's episode, Season 5, Episode 28, Chronological Order, Episode 1, 2, 3, the Casperus Dogovans edition of the Third Line Plug, Sensecast. So just a little background about Casper's dog events. He was drafted 91st overall by the Ottawa Series in 2006. He played parts of three seasons for Ottawa, recording six goals, eight assists for 14 points in 85 games, and last played in the NHL with the Boston Bruins in 2013. The Spinorama. That's, That's all you need to say right there. Like, all anyone ever talks about this guy is the Spinorama, despite the fact that dude actually played for his country in the Olympics, eh? He did play for Latvia. And nope, it's just he screwed up a spinorama once. And it's funny because he's just one of those guys where I remember watching it. He's like, I could see this guy being a regular Ottawa sender. And then he just wasn't. <laughs> yeah, he just, yeah, I agree with that. Actually, he was one of those guys that you definitely thought of as he wasn't going to be a superstar. He was going to be a regular. Yeah. Just didn't pan out. No, and it was interesting because he did end up playing a season in. Like he did end up getting traded to Boston there in the 2011-2013 season. And he honestly wasn't too bad. He just, the guy just couldn't finish is exactly it. Like he's I think, Yeah. Well, the thing about uh, Casper's dog is he was an offensively motivated player who could move the puck in the right direction about as well as you would expect for a guy who plays 12 minutes a game, mm-hmm. but he couldn't finish. And that was it. And that spinorama clip, basically summarizes Kasparis's dog event's whole career. Very much so. And honestly, I mean, that's really all you could really say about him because he didn't really have anything really notable other than that. I mean, you're right. He did play in the Olympics for Latvia. So he's what, what a handful of guys that actually played for Latvia in the NHL. Yeah. I mean, he's no Arthur like, Irving, but that's no. Well, it's kind of like the Sands had a lot of those sort of guys though. Like yeah, Peter Regan was one of the few Danes to play for at NHL team, Christoph Schubert at the time was one of the few Germans. Yep. Volchenkov. Volchenkov. Volchenkov was Russian. He was. Yeah. But yeah, the Sens had a lot of uh, European players, but like not just your standard Russia, Sweden, Finland. But even Slovakia is not exactly that kind of a country, right? No. Although there are more Slovaks in the league. Like, since about 1990, the Slovak presence has been steadily increasing. Yeah, but at the time when Marion Hossa played for us, it was, what was it? It was just Dimitra, 
Zygmunt Palfi him. Well, there was enough of them in one place to destroy Jamie McLennan. No, I think the uh, <laughs> did that handedly. One leads to the other, my friend. That is very true. That is very true. It's just like the segue into talking about next week's cover athlete poll, which is going to be Tim. And this is hard to believe. Our season five finale, also known in chronological order, episode 124. And we've got three defensemen on the board. We don't have, well, I was going to, no, we don't, no, we're not perhaps going to say, no, we got three different errors represented here with Anton Volchakov, Christian Lannan, and Jacob Bernard Docker. Oh, that's going to be a very fun episode. It is. And we're also, given that next week's going to be our season five finale, the hockey last herself, Kelly Gibbs Barton, will be joining us once again. So really looking forward to chatting with her again. It's been a while since we've talked. Yeah. So what brutal thing are we going to bring up on the podcast this time? Ooh, I don't know. I mean, that's it's really tough. I mean, once you talk about silicone nutsack injections, I don't know what more you can really say after that. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. That is true, Tim, man. That is true. So, Tim, I got to ask the question. Our listeners lowing, love knowing every single week. How has your week been going? Pretty good. Again, not doing all that much. It was Easter long weekend last week. So uh, kind of just condensed five days of work into four days. But other than that, didn't do a whole two ton of much. I just hung out with some friends over the weekend, played some Mahjong, some karaoke, you know, fun stuff. Now, it's funny because when you and I were talking off air, I asked the question, if you sang Mr. Brightside by the Killers in honor of Brady to Chuck. Right. And uh, we were going to tee that up, but it turned out that, so we we're using Joy Sound, which is uh, the main Japanese client for karaoke and probably has the largest library out there. And it also has a Nintendo Switch client, so you can just play it on your Switch. However, it is entirely in Japanese, so you have to be able to read Japanese to use it. Unfortunately. It had the killers, but it didn't have Mr. Brightside. It had like 10 or 15 songs by the killers too. So it was really surprising that they just didn't have Mr. Brightside. That seems weird. That just seems like if you had Bon Jovi and you didn't have, you gave love a bad name. Yeah. Well, there was another one that was right. They had Fleetwood Mac, but they didn't have go your own way. That's weird. But they had, they had dreams. They had tell me lies. The chain? They didn't have the chain. Oh, but they had, they had, but they had landslide listed as Fleetwood Mac, which was also kind of weird. Is not that more? That's just Stevie Buck- Nicks. I was gonna, well, I was gonna say Buckingham Nicks, but uh, no, you're right. Yeah, so it's just the song choice was, but also they had an incredible Megadeth selection. And you were telling me this because. <laughs> You did a, a Dave Mustaine impression doing Sweat and Bullets. Sweat and Bullets and Peace Cells. And people were like, how is he going this hard on this song? And it's, it hurts. Oh, God, I can imagine. Like, Dave Mustaine's not the greatest singer in the world, but he has a distinct voice. Like, it's distinct and gravelly and just kind of... And But the thing about Dave Mustaine is he can octave switch so easily, which yeah. just makes it hard to mimic. And that's something that, you know, I don't give Dave, I don't give Dave Mustaine a lot of credit on that is that you're absolutely right. Is that his voice can change octaves. And I always thought of him be trying to be like Hetfield, but with more gravel. I think that's just how he sings naturally. eh? And then he le- kind of leaned into it. Yeah. It's just like, well, people used to give Eddie Vedder shit back in the day for singing that way. But if you listen to him talk in interviews, that's just the way he talks. Yeah. 
Well, he's not like Chad Kruger who sings that way and talks in a higher pitch register. Yeah, no. For Dave Mustaine, it's just like, hello, me, it's me again. Just like that. That's just how he talks. Yeah. Did you ever hear the story about how they came up with the ideas for those songs? No. Okay. So what happened was, I guess, whatever recording studio or rehearsal studio they were in doing that album, they were rec- they were rehearsing or recording or whatever. If they got stuck on a guitar part or a drum part, they couldn't figure it out. They would go out to the basketball court in the parking lot. They would shoot some hoops <laughs> for a while. They would go back in the studio and all of a sudden they'd go, they come up like sweating bullets or, you know, Symphony's so good. That whole album was really good. It was surprising that Marty Friedman was not on it. Oh, Friedman was oh, on. Friedman that. was on that one. Yep. I thought they kicked Friedman out around Symphony of Discussion. No, he no. was in the band. I think he was up there until uh, Utopia. I think after right. Utopia, it was like, or was he on Risk? I don't think he was on Risk. Marty. Well, that's the problem with Megadeth is they shuffle the lineup shuffles so much. Yeah, it's mostly in the lead guitar player drummers. Yeah, because it was always Ellison and Mustaine. That's like the main core, but. Ellison's not even in the band anymore. He had a major falling out with Mustaine. Right. Well, it was funny because Chris, Dave Mustaine's like, Chris Pollard, you suck, get out. And just brought Marty Friedman in mid-album. Well, Jesus, I mean, the stories of Megadeth of like Gar Samuelson and Chris Poland were so high on heroin that they were selling like their gear just to get money. So yeah, their manager would be like, I'm sorry, you sold, you sold your... What to who? Hold so they go guitar. down there and you know, be like two or three Marshall stacks, a couple of heads, and <laughs> a drum kit, and they'd have to buy them back. God damn it! Yeah, Megadeth, man, they were crazy. Well, Dave Mustaine is an interesting guy. Yeah, even in his book, I've heard that his book is very bitter towards a lot of people, but I think that was just the way he was, and he got a lot of it out of his system. Yeah, because I, I mean, he talks very negatively about Metallica and some of the things he says about Lars Ulrich and those kind of guys in the band because he was so bitter about that. We were listening to the stupid. Uh, so a lot of the Joyce Sound songs for older songs are MIDI files. So it's not like the actual back, backing instruments with the vocal files stripped out. It's like, imagine it's like a Super Nintendo song almost. And uh, we're listening to that. And after the song, my buddy just looks at me. He's like, nah, still a better drummer than Lars. Yeah. Because yeah, Lars all Lars sucks. Oh, let's be real. He's terrible. He is such a terrible drummer. But that's not the point though. So I'll talk a little bit about my week because, you know, I actually had a really good weekend. I actually got a couple of days off. I had Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. I was in Vancouver to watch the Sense Connects game, which we'll talk about later in this episode. Had a great time. Katrina and I went back to our favorite brunch place in Vancouver on Granville Street. And this is something I was telling you about that. Like the pancakes were so thick and so fluffy and they were really good. Right. We ordered them. I think we walked away and I was like, we were kind of looking at each other going, was, were those good? They were so dense <laughs> because it was like, you know, when you make homemade bread, yeah. the inside of it, it has that texture. It's really dense inside and you take a, big bite out of that it tasted like it was like that it had that kind of consistency to it 
right fair enough that's the thing is like if i feel like pancakes i guess i want just something thinner that's gonna not overwhelm what you're putting on top of it yeah and that's what we had today because we went to a brunch place here in town and had three pancakes and they were big pancakes too they were lighter than the ones in vancouver nice i I got two and a two and three quarters through it i looked at her i'm like i i I can't i can't power through it anymore i was so full but it was crazy because like her and i both got pancakes we both had a flight of mimosas it came up to like what did it come out today? It was like 60, 60. Yeah, it was like 63. That was with taxes. Mm. And my cousin, and I'll get shout out to my cousin Tom, by the way, because him and his girlfriend Madison got as a gift card for my birthday for this place. So it was like a $50 gift card. So I paid maybe 13 bucks. Nice, nice. So I was going to say, Tim, we should talk about last week's episode, but I feel I'm going to call an audible here. Because we did an exclusive interview this afternoon with not only a former senator's captain, but the inaugural captain of the Ottawa Senators, Mr. Lori Bushman. I mean, what a great interview this really was. And this is, of course, the interview is going to come out later this week. But I think we should talk a little bit about our experiences talking about that. Because I think you made a comment right out of the gate when we stopped recording. He sound he was a very naturally outgoing individual with us. And... He was great. Oh, yeah. I think it's, I'll probably have to listen back to it, but I think I say this after every interview, but I think this is definitely one of my favorites. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the qual- the audio quality is already way better than the Tugnut interview. <laughs> oh, the Tugnut interview was just great content, though. Like, Oh, it was. For real. The Stuntman Stew one was good. I think it was, I still wish we got his Skype rant recorded, though. Honestly, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've we talked about that in the past where he just went off about it for like 20 seconds and you and I were looking at each other going, oh my oh, this God, is gonna this be is good. amazing. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> I had a burp there. I'm drinking Coke for the first time during this podcast and I was just like, feeling like a Coke right now. Oh. It's good. I like it. But no, it was really cool to, anytime that we get anybody associated with the Sens, whether it's Tugger or Tugger or... Bruce Firestone, Ian Mendez, Noodles, anybody like that. It's always great to have them on. But to get a former Senator's captain. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, and it's interesting. It's always interesting to kind of get a view into, well, what's an expansion team really like? And obviously, when we talked with Ron talking about he talked about because he played on two of them. But it was also really cool because he talked about playing with, like, the late Daryl Harachok, playing with Gretzky in the early 80s, Harold Ballard, like so many great stuff that we got out of him. So I'm super excited to have you guys hearing that episode. And another thing that I'm super excited about, Tim, yeah, is this segue into this little segment I like to call Top of the Hour. Nice. Not bad, man. Not bad at all. I got to give myself credit for that one. No, we like that. Two out of three right there. Not for this episode. <laughs> last three episodes. Two segues. Absolutely seamless, I tell you. It's like we've been doing this for years. I know. By the way, I think I've showed you that, eh? My new uh my new sense. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I bought it for my water. I bought a new sense water bottle for hockey because honestly, it was one of those things where I'm like, I have two Gatorade bottles, like the green ones. Right. I have one for work and I have one at home. And the one at home, I just like. 
I don't really want this thing sitting in the bottom of my hockey bag, which I mean, I, I clean it out anyway, but that's not really the point. Yeah. So I bought yeah. that because Katrina and I went to the hockey shop in Victoria. I saw it. I bought it. So it's good stuff. Good stuff. Good stuff, Tim. Now, what's not good stuff, Tim, and unfortunately, last week we had to talk about the unfortunate passing of New York Islander Mike Bossy. And you know how much I hate talking about death. And this is one that it got me thinking because, you know, when talking about the Montreal Canadiens, they're superstar captains. They're always very representative of the Montreal Canadiens at the time. With when they had the Rocket and Jean Beliveau, you had a very fiery yet very classy organization that people really looked up to. When you had when Patrick Waugh was the superstar, very feisty, very confident in themselves, very brash. And then in the 1970s, you had Guy Lafleur. And Montreal Canadiens captain Guy Lafleur passed away at the age of 70. Lafleur, drafted first overall by the Montreal Canadiens in 1971, spent 14 seasons with Montreal, recording 518 goals, 278 assists for 1,246 points in 961 games, making him the all-time leader in assists and points in Canadian history, while being named to six All-Star games, winning the Art Ross three times in 1976, 77, and 78, the Lester B. Pearson Trophy three times, also in 66 or 76, 77, 78, two Hart Trophies in 77, 78, and five Stanley Cups, including four straight from 1976 to 1979, while being named Playoff MVP in 1977. He retired briefly in 1985 before making a comeback in 1988 with the New York Rangers before finishing his career with the Quebec Nordiques in 1991. I always forget about that last bit where he came out of retirement because it just does, doesn't fit the image of Mr. Hab. You know? It does. Guy Lafleur, like Mike Bossy, is one of these guys who I never got a chance to see him play because they both retired before I was born, but he was somebody when I was a kid growing up reading about hockey players and seeing documentaries and stuff like that on hockey, they were definitely players always mentioned. <laughs> and Guy Lafleur is one of these guys who you want to talk about a prototype for every flashy, confident superstar that came after him. Because before there was a thing like swag and flow and drip, and drip, it was Guy Lafleur. Because the main image Guy Lafleur have skating down the ice with his hair blowing in the wind. Yeah. Really, he was one of the first rock star NHL superstars. Which is surprising because he, had, <clears throat> he was preceded by Richard, who was known to be a very fiery, lively sort of person. Yep. And also Jean Beliveau, who was a very stoic, very dignified individual both on mm. and off the ice it is a little surprising that like rocket richard wasn't known as like a rock star yeah he definitely was i think it's that kind of time in like that time in um in the 50s and 60s you don't really hear a lot about that but definitely in the advent of television rocket richard was on tv in the united states and definitely in quebec like he's next to god yeah that's not even questionable but I was thinking about this when Lafleur passed away, and this really came as a bit of a surprise because you knew he's that young. he's seventy years old. But he was—we knew he was sick for a little while. We talked about—I think we talked about this on the show. But it's always 
so sad when somebody like this passes away. And I think it's one of those things where you look at some of the players who have passed away in the last 20 years, some of the greats of all time. Like, and we said, I like, I remember when the rocket passed away in 2000, what a big deal that was for a lot of people. You see a lot of the superstars like Lafleur, bossy Jean Beliveau, some of the guys that come after him. It's just like, wow. Like a part of history is gone now. Yeah. And we've lost a lot of kind of those Habs greats, as we were talking about with Lafleur, Beliveau. And it's just kind of weird to think that uh, we're probably close. We're getting closer to 2050 than 1950, right? And this is a consequence of that. Yeah, it is absolutely crazy. It's absolutely crazy. But you know what? We're talking about the legends of the Montreal Canadiens. Guy Lafleur, without question, is widely considered one of the greatest. If I, th- I think for a lot of people, I think the Rocket will always be number one. That yeah. is not questionable. But after him, you can make a legit argument that Guy Lafleur was number two. Anybody who is the all-time points leader in Montreal Canadiens <laughs> history—that's a well, big thing—and nobody's yeah. come anywhere close to hitting that number. Well, we're talking about a guy who had like 136 points in one year back in the 70s. Yeah, we're talking about a guy who his last year junior before he made the NHL, he scored 130 goals. Yeah, that's disgusting. These are numbers in the Quebec Major Junior League you would not see until Mario came along. And Mario is definitely a player. The the last thing I want to mention about Guy Lafleur here is I remember my dad when he worked at the Empress Hotel in the early 90s, he saw Guy Lafleur at the Empress in the old Bangle Lounge, which is oh. like a very classy upscale bar in the Empress Hotel. Guy Lafleur, and I think one other person was there. The two of them drank a bottle and a half of Johnny Walker Black Label. Holy shit. And a pack of cigarettes. Not only is that expensive, <laughs> that is, that's a lot of liquor. It is. It is, but you know what? When you're Guy Lafleur, I mean, what else can you expect, right? Yeah, dude went hard. He did. Another guy that went hard, Tim, is Alex Ovechkin. And I'm glad to know we got a little Ovi watch on this week's Top of the Hour because Washington Capitals captain Alex Ovechkin became the third player in NHL history to record nine 50-goal seasons. The other two players on said list are Wayne Gretzky and the late Mike Bossy. Yeah, and... Last week we remarked, like we remarked how incredible it was that Mike Bossy was able to do it nine seasons in a row. What's incredible about Alex Ovechkin? Sure, it's not as consistent as Mike Bossy, but he did it post lockout, which is among the slowest scoring eras of the NHL. Post lockout, in a salary cap era where you could lose superstars left and right because of yeah. money. But the fact that Alex Ovechkin was able to achieve something that I think a lot of people thought would just never happen again is incredible. And sure, goal scoring is through the roof this season, but it wasn't through the roof for the last 10 where Alex Ovechkin has done most of his work. No. And Alex Ovechkin, I think he's a very key figure when talking about the post dead puck era of the NHL, because like you mentioned, scoring was down without a ton of excitement. 
Alex Ovechkin comes into the NHL as a 20 year old or whatever the hell he was. And he scores 50 right out of the gate. Yeah. And it's been amazing to watch. And he is closing in on Wayne Gretzky there. And I think he does it. He does. And as much as we talk about the all-time goals list, this one surprises me because Alex Ovechkin, if potentially next season or the year after, could hit another 50 and leapfrog both. Yeah, because Gretz, he's at 894, Gordy Howe's at 801, Alex Ovechkin, 780. And Ovechkin wants to play. He does. He does. And you know what? He, he's not injured. He's not slowing down. So it's going to be good stuff, man. Yeah. It's going to be good stuff. Now, we got to give a quick shout out to Tampa Bay Lightning captain Steven Stamkos as he passed Martin St. Louis as the franchise leader in points with 954. Stamkos, drafted first overall by Tampa in 2008, has spent his entire NHL career with Tampa Bay recording 473 goals, 483 assists for 956 points in 917 games at the time of the story. That seems so weird that there just hasn't been a thousand point player on the lightning but like the sharks have had multiple the sends have had multiple yeah that, that it's is so weird i think it's because martin st louis didn't hit big numbers right out of the gate it took him a couple of years to make it but i'm not surprised martin st louis was number one i actually would have assumed it was either him or le cavalier that's fair well le cavalier was 949 yeah, which is nothing to sneeze at, dude. No, but it's just like, in my head, it's like, okay, the Lightning have three Stanley Cups. Sorry, yeah, three Stanley Cups already. You'd think they'd have at least one guy who did a 1,000 points, right? And because they've been around for about 30 years now. Yep, yep, it'd be 30 seasons next year. Not 30 this year, as my dumbass thought it was. But that's not the point. <laughs> no, honestly, that's going to be very cool. And Stamkos is another guy who... I think Stamkos kind of gets lost in the shuffle a little bit when talking about superstars in the NHL because you definitely see the Crosbys and the Ovechkins, and now you see it with... Well, even on his own damn team with Kucherov. Kucherov, Yeah, and Kucherov and some of the big names you have. Like, Stamkos just kind of goes under the radar a little bit, probably because he's been injured quite a bit over the last several seasons that you think of him more as being injury-prone than a superstar. But the fact is, he also scored 60 goals. And yeah, he goes under the radar. Well, it's because he didn't sign Toronto, obviously. Yeah, that's true. That is true, Tim. Now we're going to move away from talking about the Tampa Lightning to talk about the state of Florida's other team, the Florida Panthers, because the 2021-22 Florida Panthers set the new record for most goals in a season during the Seller Cup era with 322. And... Do you want to tag a new record on there? Holy fuck. Go for it. They have extended their current win streak to 13 with a come from behind victory against the Maple Leafs. That is the longest win streak for the They're going to hit 60 Panthers. Wins. They are going to hit oh, 60 yeah. wins. This is not even funny. They might knock they down the I think the existing longest win streak. Sorry, the longest win streak of the Sally Crap era is 16 by the Columbus Blue Jackets in 2016. And uh, I Florida, I think yeah, because the Penguins were held the record with like 
18 or something 19 was that sal- salary cap error or post oh. Sorry, pre pre yeah and uh because i think florida has four games left so at best they can do 16 sorry at best they can do 17 and i was saying to somebody that worked yesterday it was just like the florida panthers like you and i both said that they were going to win the the division no problem like that was like, okay that's no problem the way that they are absolutely steamrolling everybody else to 57 wins right now i don't think you and i predicted that we knew they were going to be good not like that not expect almost 60 wins and what's incredible is they're probably we thought like the Colorado Avalanche were going to dummy the West and probably be the first the team that gets like 120 points. No, well, Colorado could still do it, but what what the hell is Florida doing? And like, they're doing insanity. it in a way harder conference. Oh yeah, and like two of the teams they dummied were Toronto and Tampa. Yeah, but then they get dummied by the Sens, so it evens it out, I guess. Okay. We ended one man's career. Well, Tim, I don't know about that. I mean, it's the career is only dead until he resurrects it. Right. This next story, and this really made me happy, Tim, because you know me, I like myself the CLC Hawks. And I was very, very happy on Monday when I was in the ferry terminal and I'm waiting to catch the ferry over. When I happened to see a video on TSN, Marshawn Lynch doing donuts in a Zamboni at the Seattle Kraken's practice facility. The Seattle Kraken have announced that Grammy award-winning rapper Macklemore and former Seattle Seahawks running back Marshawn Lynch have become minority owners. Macklemore, who won two Grammys in 2014 for Best Rap Album, The Heist, and the song Thrift Shop, and Lynch, a five-time NFL Pro Bowler and Super Bowl champion, previously served as expansion draft hosts. Okay, so before we end I hate game, Macklemore so fucking much. Okay, so I want to talk about Macklemore here for a second. <laughs> because, you know, Macklemore, I definitely have some thoughts. Number one, the heist is a terrible album. This is, coming, this is coming from a guy who didn't, who kind of liked his music back in the day. Like, I heard it, and I was like, okay, that's cool. He kind of, I think of Macklemore the way I think of Drake. And hear me out on this. Drake is the kind of person whose music is only rem- only memorable when it's a hit. After it's run its course, it's not a hit. Does anybody ever talk about it anymore? I think people still talk about Hotline Bling. Like, I'm not talking like, like the Hotline Bling and Start from the Bottom. Right. That makes sense. When was the last time you thought of God's Plan? When was the last time you thought of any of his other hits? Macklemore is kind of the same way because... Thrift Shop's an obvious one, but when was the last time you actually ever thought of his other hits he had? He had other hits? Like, Can't Hold Us, which I think is actually a better song off the album. Like, I listen to Thrift Shop, I get the, I get it, I get why it's popular. It's kind of goofy, it's funny, it's whatever. It, it is what it is. It was not deserving to win the Grammy. The annoying thing... Okay, part of the reason why I hate Macklemore is I, I worked in residence that year. I heard that song nonstop for eight months. And the first time I was like, oh, okay, this is fun. Ha ha ha. And then like some of my coworkers like, oh, let's go thrift shopping like Macklemore. I'm like, oh, okay, great. Yeah. 
And then it was just, oh, we're all quirky. Ah, fuck off. Yeah. The song sucks. I think after a while, and Macklemore is one of those guys where, like, I listened to his songs a couple of times. I'm just tired of it. But the one thing, one nice thing I will say about Macklemore is that he had an album previous, and I'm going to bring this up here because I want to get the name correct. I think it's called The Language of My World. It came out in 2005. I'm just going to quickly look this up on Spotify. Macklemore. Yeah, the, the Language of My World. It came out in 2005. And if, there, if you want to listen to a Macklemore album that's actually pretty good, listen to this. Because some of the tracks, like I like Claiming the City, Hold Your Head Up, Inhale Deep, I Said Hey. Like There's some really cool tunes off that, so I would highly recommend it. The only thing I have about Thrift Shop is that, like I said, I don't agree with it winning the Grammy. Because I looked at the, I actually looked it up. I looked up, okay, who were the nominees for that year? Yeah. Eminem had Berserk. Another song, which I don't think is that great anymore. Fucking Swimming Pools by Kendrick Lamar lost to it. Wait, what? And you know, this is great. You know the song Swimming yeah. Pools? Great song. That song lost out to Thrift Shot for the Grammy that year. That was 2014 Grammy? Yeah. Yeah the 2014 grammy winner yeah he won two because he won the general one because record of the year was wait get lucky lost to fucking thrift shop yeah another album that or another song what talks about anymore is get lucky oh wait yeah best new artist was macklemore uh i think best song of the year was royals yeah, uh, it's a uh, rap, best rap song of the year. Oh, best rap song, uh, because song of the year was Royals, and album of the year was Get Lucky. Oh, rap. Yeah, that punk album. Yeah, not that great. It, I mean, wait, it started from the bottom was better than Thrift Shop, and it lost to Thrift Shop. Yeah, and I don't even like Drake. I know. Yeah, I just realized we spent all this time talking about Macklemore. But you know what? Again, I I do think it's cool because, again, he did represent Seattle for a lot of times. But the thing is, when Macklemore first came out, it, like when he hit, hit in like 2013, 2014, the hip-hop community, and I'll probably get some flack for this, I think it had three main white rappers in that. There was Macklemore, there was G-Eazy, and there was Mac Miller. And I think of it this way. Macklemore was the one that was very popular. G Easy was the one who was kind of popular, but not that good. Macklemore or Mac Miller was the guy who was very good, but didn't have a crossover hit. Right. Although, like, Mac Miller was popular enough once he scratched the surface, even a little Mac Miller would just come right up to the top. Oh, which, by the way, if anybody out there wants to hear great album, I'm swimming. Yeah. Shep's Kiss. So good. So good. Now, we're talking about Marshawn Lynch here, and he's a guy who I'm not surprised that the Kraken are going after him because, again, Marshawn was a part of the expansion draft like we talked about. When news broke that he was going to be a minority owner, my first thought was that the first press conference he's at, he just sits down, he looks at everybody goes, y'all know why I'm here. (laughs) Although the final note I want to make here about Lynch I was a huge, huge Marshawn Lynch fan. I love the guy, but he dropped some gems on everybody in his final, one of his final games as a Seahawk because he's talking to the media and he goes, you know, y'all take care. What do you say? Uh, y'all take care of your mentals, y'all bodies, and y'all chickens. 
because you know I, I played with the all players and they ain't around no more. <laughs> like he was like went into the speech and it was just like, yeah, you got to take care of yourself, your bread, your chicken, and your mantles. That's so so when you so when you're done, you're able to do stuff. And I'm like, fucking Marshawn Lynch, man, love that guy. No, nah, that's great. Yeah. Now, what's not great, Tim, is our next story we got to talk about. A new lawsuit against Detroit Red Wings revealed that longtime Red Wings Zamboni driver Al Sabokta was fired for public urination. Sabokta is suing for violation of civil rights, claiming discrimination on basis of age and disability, and is seeking compensatory damages. See? Now, only if he was Stone Cold Steve Austin, he could just ride that out there and punch his boss in the face. Yeah, but at the same time, Dude did just go pee in a culvert. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I don't know enough about the layout of the arena and the work plans to say one way or another. I doubt this lawsuit goes anywhere and I can't get too mad about it. Yeah. I think it's very notice. I think it's very notable because for in Detroit, I think everybody knows about the, the octopus. Yes. Saboka was the guy that had to go out and get it. Right. During the playoff runs of like the late 90s or 2000s, he used to grab the, you know, the squid or octopus or the house, and he used to swing it over his head. <laughs> in the crowd, the crowd's going, yeah, the octopus yeah. This was amazing. I got to say, though, is that one of the more very original, very unique traditions in sports is the octopus and the ice? <clears throat> it has to be, right? Yeah, it really does. Because I know other teams have tried it, like when – like Nashville, Nashville's catfish. Calgary played them. Not Calgary. Uh, Edmonton. So when Edmonton played them, they threw a steak on the ice for Alberta beef. Well, the one I remember is back in the early, like 2010, when the Leafs were just garbo. Oh, I got and one. And the dude was throwing the waffles on the ice for time to wake up. What about in Montreal? What if they threw a smoked meat sandwich on the ice? <laughs> or is it Putin? I don't know. Those guys in the morph suits in Vancouver were pretty funny too. Oh, they were amazing. I gotta say, like, if, if somebody threw a Putin, like a Putin on the ice, it, would that be more Montreal or would that be Ottawa? No, that'd be Montreal. No, we Ottawa would be throwing beaver tails on the ice. Yeah. Um, trying to think of like other just like really weird sports sports traditions, and I can't come up with anything even close to. Uh, stupid octopus. Yeah, I mean, you got to look at some other sports. I mean, baseball. Baseball at Wrigley Field when they do the National Anthem in the seventh inning. Right. Okay, would you consider what the Buffalo Bills do with Bills Mafia and the Flaming Tables? That'd be weird too, yeah. Yeah, that'd be cool. I'd see that in person. So, Tim, let's turn attention to the Arizona Coyotes. Now, I know over the last couple of weeks we've talked about how they're going to be playing in a 5,000-seat arena next season. Well, it turns out that season ticket prices have been released for the 2022-23 season at ASU Arena. Would you like to take a guess how much these tickets are going to be ranging from? Oh, I saw. And uh, although, remember that even, like, the quote unquote cheap seats are going to still be a good seat because this arena does not have an upper bowl. Yeah. It is just a single bowl and it runs like from the season ticket package. It's a hundred bucks to a thousand. The ranging right now, 14, 350. That's the highest 
You're still paying $3,700 for the season. Yeah. It's fun. So, yeah, it's bad. But you know what? Our good friend, Mike Gould, he put up a thread on Twitter talking about it. And he says that people, you know, he says, you know, y'all going to be talking about how this is weird. And yet the fucking Raptors played out of the Sky Dome in the 90s. Or the Tampa Bay, oh, the Tampa Bay Lightning playing out of Tropicana Field. The Thunderdome. Remember when that shit was a thing? Remember before they went to St. Petersburg or wherever the hell they are right now, where they had played out of the Expo Hall and then dropping out a field? Like, I think the difference is Tampa Bay was an expansion team. The Raptors were new, waiting for Air Canada Center. The Coyotes had a freaking tax lien on them, couldn't afford their current arena, and going to a tiny arena like it, it's not this not even the same thing like no but i think that's kind of funny that people say that though like it's fucking weird i mean fuck you look at the nba look of all the teams that used to play out of like the football stadiums it's like the spurs played out of the alamo dome <laughs> the atlanta hawks played out of georgia dome the fucking sonics played out of um the kingdom, like it wasn't, it's not uncommon at times, but it's weird. Although I'll tell you one thing, the trop trop, it's not getting an outdoor game. Let's be honest. Yeah. No, it would definitely be Marlin park or uh, the hard rock cafe one where the dolphins play. Right. Raymond yeah. J stadium. I still say Raymond J stadium in Tampa Bay. That'd be cool. With the, with the, with the pirate ship and everything. So TSN's Rick Westhead reported that Adidas is being sued in Florida for marketing quote-unquote authentic NHL jerseys that are more accurately described as replicas as opposed to the ones worn by NHL players. I mean, I get it. We'll see if this goes anywhere. Yeah, it is what it is, man. The Pittsburgh Penguins have entered into a partnership with health insurance company Highmark for their first ever jersey patch next season. Said agreement will span the next three seasons. Honestly, I'm not surprised this is going to start becoming a thing because, you know, with the loss of revenue from the, the pandemic and everything, and they're trying to recoup some money. I see it. You have the ads and the helmets. It doesn't bother me at all. Yeah. And honestly, I like it better than every TV broadcast having an insanely long bit about sports gambling. Yeah, The ads are actually less intrusive than, well, you better bet on the Maple Leafs tonight. Look how high. Look, it's like a plus 200 bid. Whoa. Like, nobody cares. Like, yeah. Fuck off. I mean, honestly, I'm not surprised. I mean, definitely in, in the European countries like Sweden and Germany, advertisements on the jerseys are very common there. Yep. But that's a very, even the European soccer teams, like, you know, and we talk Manchester United, Liverpool, Man City, every Soccer team does it. Yeah. That's just not common. The NHL is just following in their steps now. Yeah. And the like NBA I think is already doing it. Yeah. The NBA is doing it. The NBA has been doing it for a while. Yeah. As long as the ads stay, ta- like, stay tasteful, I'm fine. Like, as long as it doesn't become like DEL or the Swiss League tier where they have like 30 freaking ads on the jersey. Yeah. Then I'm being like, no. Yes. That would be where I draw my line. Oh, yeah. I don't think the NHL is going to get to that point, Tim. 
but you know, you never know, right? So, Tim, you know how I can't remember what episode it was now. I think it was a game versus Washington, Washington, Ottawa. And I made a comment. I says, you know, you see these Washington jerseys, like the ones that had the W on it. Imagine how cool that would be if they had the screaming eagle of like the mid to late 90s on their jerseys. And we're like, yeah, that'd be awesome. That'd be cool. I think somebody was listening to that episode, Tim. Hell yeah. The Washington Capitals will be bringing back their screaming eagle logo as part of the 2022-23 reverse retro jersey. According to graphic designer Lucas Diachman, said jersey will be a black version of the Capitals jersey from 1996 until 1999. I don't know how I feel about them going to the black jersey because if you look at their their blue away ones from their late 90s, those were cool. They were really nice. I think they would look really cool today, but I'm glad they're bringing the Screaming Eagle back, though. I love that logo. No, that's fucking sick. I know it's coming full circle. Alex Ovechkin came into the NHL wearing that logo, and now he potentially might be heading out wearing it. I'd be down for that. Me too, man. Me too. So, Tim, it's time to close off top of the air by talking about a suspension. Montreal Canadiens forward Michael Pizzetta was suspended two games for an illegal check to the head on Washington Capitals forward TJ Oshie. Pizza is not a repeat offender. Yeah, it is exactly what it is on the tin. And at the same time, I'm glad he got suspended. I'm a little surprised that he got suspended for it because I've seen worse hits get nothing. But it is a suspension-worthy hit. Totally. It totally is. And you know what? The NHL got it right. So good on him. And the guy's a plug, too. So, Oh, yeah. We'll definitely talk about that in the fourth game (laughs) episode. But until then... It's time to close off top of the hour because, like I said, Tim, we got four games to talk about this week. We've got the Sens versus the Kraken, Sens versus the Canucks, Sens versus the Blue Jackets, and Le Canadien versus the Sens. But before we do that, let's hit the music. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. Okay, Tim, let's start talking about the Sens versus the Kraken. This is a 4-2 to two Kraken victory. Sens goals are scored by Brady Dechuk and Nick Holden. Kraken goals are scored by Daniel Sprung, Matty Berniers, and Victor Rask. I think I know there's a fourth of there. I totally forgot this. Shots were 28-14 for Seattle. This is a game that happened. Yep. The auto center is just didn't really show up outside of like Brandstrom. I didn't get a chance to watch the game. I was actually in Vancouver and it was one of these things like Katrina and I were going to go to dinner with her sister and fiance plans kind of fell through. So it was kind of a, well, the Canucks are playing Dallas tonight. Do you want to go to the game instead? She's like, okay. So we went to the game instead and honestly, it was a much better game. Let's be Yeah. Yeah, I remember watching this one. Uh, Ottawa was not there to start the first period. Ottawa kind of came out, scored two quick goals in the second, and then just went back to sleep. Grubauer looked terrible, by the way. Sorry, no, Drieger looked terrible, by the way. And had Ottawa played a game, they probably would have won. Yeah, it's is what it is. Even on a condensed version, you just watch it and you're like, 
oh, that's this is bad. Yeah, so do I just put this one in the rear view mirror? Yes, I do want to make one comment, though, because when I was on the ferry coming home Wednesday morning, there was a gentleman who saw me in my Stutzla jersey. Yep. The reason why I was wearing it is because I, ha- I only had my backpack on me, so I had to wear my braid jersey in my bag. Katrina wore the Stutzla jersey to the game, so I wore it just instead. This guy came up to me and goes, hey, are you from Ottawa? And I was like, no, 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 I'm from out here. And apparently he drove to Seattle Monday to watch the game. He was telling me about the Climate Pledge Arena. He says it is absolutely immaculate how nice that arena is right now. Isn't that just like a a renovation of the key arena? A $1.4 billion renovation to key Holy arena. Holy shit. It's basically what happened is that because it's a historical site in Seattle. So key arena, the, the infamous roof and all that shit, the structure, you couldn't take it down gutted everything out of the arena and rebuilt it from the inside. So basically what? what he was telling me is like where the, how you see the arena at street level, you have to go down probably three or four floors to where the, the ice surface is. Why did they make key arena a historic site? Uh, because that's where the Sonics played for a long time. And it's just a very historic building in Seattle. Yes, but it's also like just way the f- like you know where it is in Seattle. Like yeah, it's, it's basically it's by the close to, uh, airport. No, it's nowhere near there. No, the close to SeaTac, isn't it? Oh God, no! The airport's out by Tacoma, man. Pretty sure Climate Pledge is way the fuck out there too. No, it's uh, it's very close to the Space Needle. Okay. No, it's really close to the Space Needle in Seattle, so it's a it's a pretty decent place, but you know. It's just one of those things where, again, it's a historic site in Seattle. And yeah, so it was really nice. Cause it's funny because, like, I wanted to talk Katrina into driving down to Seattle for this game, too. Yep. Because I was like, well, tickets are not price, or we're coming up to Vancouver anyway. But she had exams right on the Tuesday. Now so. you don't have to write those. Well, she kind of does. She kind of <laughs> does. So, as she, oh, oh, God, she's plopping up. <laughs> But uh, no, it's okay. I'm glad I didn't watch this game. Not the second game of the evening, though. Let me tell you, Tim. Sens versus Canucks. This is a 4-3 to three Senators shootout victory. Sens was scored by Alex Ford and Tim with two. Parker Kelly and Adam Gaudet with the winner. <laughs> oh, God, that was hilarious. So good. Canucks scores were scored by JT Miller, Brock Besser, and Travis Dermott. Shots for 37-31 for the Canucks. Now, Tim. We were talking about this before we hit record. Now, I don't really, I'm not going to do any rundown or any of that kind of stuff that I usually do because this was my first Sens game and I did not realize this. The last time I saw the Sens play live was the NHL 100 Classic, which was five years ago. Holy shit. I thought you would have gone to at least one Ottawa game in uh, Vancouver. No, because it was just one of those things where you know, the whole thing with the, the Mel Nagout campaign, how bitter fans got. I just, I couldn't do it. Well, I mean, no, nope. I went to one back in 2010. I even have the program still. Yeah, but that's 2010. Yeah, like, I'm surprised you just, like, look, this program has Brian Lee, Peter Regan, and uh, Philip Kuba on it, and Matt Cullen. Like, I'm just really surprised that you didn't go to one before, like the Melnick out and all that sort of stuff. 
No, I did. Oh, you did? Okay. Sorry, you said it was your first Sens game. I was like, wait. No, first game since. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Since okay. you knew firsthand. This is, that was the Angel One Hat Classic was the third game I've been to. Because I saw them in Vancouver 2011. Right. Saw them again 2016 where we shut them out and saw them in the outdoor game. But yeah, honestly, I just want to talk a little bit about my experiences because, you know, the one nice thing about the Sens, anytime they come to Vancouver, the Sens fans come out. Yep. Let me tell you, and it's always shocking because you never really see anybody in Sens jerseys. You see, people are more surprised when they see me in Sens gear. The fans came out and it was so beautiful. Oh, so sweet. And it was one of those cool things because I'm always happy when the fans come out. It was always a good time. So for pregame, I actually went down to the glass and stood by the stood by the glass, watched the Sens do their pregame warm-up, ran into a good friend of the show. And Former third line plug guest co-host, Mr. Trevor Shackles. Got a chance to see him in the flesh. I was actually sober this time when I saw him. So nice. that's always a good thing. He's a great guy. I have no idea how we got the bike helmet through security, but you should have asked. It would probably have been a good story. I did. I did. He's just like, I don't, know. I don't know. Don't know how I did it, but I got it through security. But I wanted to add a funny story because like he and I were talking, this other guy came up to Trevor, was talking to him. And he's like, oh, do you guys know each other? And he's like, oh, hey, this is uh, Tim. And I was like, uh, it's Taylor, Trev. Shit, wrong one. <laughs> Even though I just DM'd him like two minutes earlier because I bought the glass. I see him with his glasses and helmet. I look over and I see him standing there. I'm like, oh, they're shackles. <laughs> but it was great. I got to take a selfie with them, throw up on social media, go back down, watch the Sens in the pregame, got hit with a puck. Actually, yeah, the puck went through down through the mesh in the glass. It went down and nailed me on the foot. I'm surprised you didn't notice it coming up. No, because I think Form 10 or somebody shot it. And I think it kind of went around and went and dropped. Oh, okay. I wasn't paying fully attention. And so the puck hit my foot. I looked down, I grabbed the puck, and I see this kid that Katrina and I saw at you're going to scoff at this Brown social house. Cause we were right across the street from the hotel. So we went to dinner there and I saw the kid in the sense Jersey and his dad's walking up and I nudge him and he goes, yeah. And I, I show him the pocket. I point to his son, but like, here, give that to him. Nice. Nice. Yeah. And it was great. Now, one of the cool things is after pregame, we went up to our seats only to find out we got bumped for the fans who watched the game. You might've noticed that there was an entire section behind the sense net that was an entire cheering section with flags and waivers, stuff you would see in European soccer. Yeah. That's where we were supposed to be sitting. We got bumped for that. Right. They're they probably like, you don't want to be no here. Idea. We had no idea. We had no idea this was happening until the security ladies looking at us going, where did you buy your ticket sat? And I was like, oh, I took it, man. I bought my ticket master. Oh, this entire section got bought. <laughs> So you got bumps. I'm like, look, but we'll we'll comp your tickets. You want to sit somewhere else? And it says, do you want to? Do you still want to see when the sense shoot twice? And I go, absolutely. So they gave us 119. So we're right in the like where the camera is. The camera, the sensor skating right. We were in the top left hand corner of the arena. Okay. Actually really good seats, and we actually got to see it. It looked like they were really up close and everything, and got a good view of the ice. But I got to give the Canucks this because their presentation for that night was fantastic. Not only did they bring back the entire cheering section, but they brought back some of the old players. 
Gino Ojek came back. They got a Gino Gino chant going. Kurt McLean started doing the storm surge. Nice. I don't know if on the telecast this was picked up, probably in the TV timeout. He came out and started doing the storm surge. And I sent that video to you. I was like, Kirk McLean's fucking doing the storm surge right now. Yeah, that was. Well, you also sent me the fo- either the photo or the tweet where uh, you ended up on a TV, bro. <laughs> Jamie, shout out to Jamie McLennan because Noodles. I, I mentioned this last week that Jamie McLennan knew we were going to be at the game. Yeah, and so I tweeted him and I DM'd him. And I was like, "Hey, listen, we're going to be in this section with our signs." He screw. He sends me a picture of us on the screen, and I was like, "That's fucking amazing." I said that to my mom, like, look, mom, we're on TV. And she goes, why do you have your tongue out? <laughs> Just like, look, mom, I made it. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, good Lord. Good Lord. Oh, no. I know. But they also brought back former Canucks color commentator Tom Larshad for one of his final, I don't know if his final appearances. But they had him on a scissor lift in like the, uh, where the Zamboni entrance is. So we're that whole cheering session. They're cheering because they see Larshad. So that was really, really cool. And like always, every time I go to a Canucks Sens game, the fans are salty towards us. Because <laughs> funny things happened. It's one of these things where we were in our seats. We were cheering everything. There was a guy two rows down from us. Anytime the Canucks score, he's looking up at me. And we go, yeah, that's right. He's doing this fucking yeah. You know, he flagged his shirt down, whatever his jersey. I just kind of look at him like, hmm. We'll see how this goes. Yeah. But there was a couple of sense fans in the next aisle, next, or the section next to us. They were cheering. So Canucks fans just had a handful of popcorn, went through it at him. Yeah. That, that's, that's not cool. I, I mean, it chuckled. It was like, oh, okay, yeah. whatever. But I mean, God, when Adam Gaudet scored in the shootout, Here's the thing. We're sitting in our seats and the only thought process was how are we still in this? How are we still in this? It was so weird. Like Ottawa just like the first period was fine. Sporemented scores and then Ottawa just falls right off. Yep. Right? Well, fuck. I mean, and I said this is that if the Senators were an NFL quarterback, they would have been pulled off the ice. Yeah. Like the that second turnovers. I could not believe but here's the thing, even watching the, like, a couple of notes. Parker Kelly looked really good. Yep. Uh, Formington looked really good. Formington's, again, in person, when you watch him, you knew he's not going to finish. He knew it's not going to go well. Because he tried the thing where, you know, he would have, he'd put the sticks out this way so he has one hand on the puck. And then as soon as he gets, he turns, he pulls it back and tries to go top shelf. Sure. But at the same time. Formative was probably the best offensive player yeah, on the ice for both teams. Like when he scored, not the tip in, but when he went top shelf. Oh, that was beauty. We were in that section and the Suns fans go, yeah, we were so happy. And the Parker Kelly, Kelly goal was just a really nice goal too. Yeah. Oh, one where it popped out. Yeah. We were there and we're kind of like, oh, fuck, fuck, it's in, it's in. We scored and we were so happy. I thought we were going to get that call back. I was like, shit. Please don't call it back. I thought, like, just kind of watching the game, Ottawa had like two lines that were really keyed into the game. I'm going to say right and now, and then two the that just B line looked terrible. 
Oh yeah, no, they were not in it. Brady North battle line did not look good in that game. I was just like, wow, like. But the guy who looked really good was Timmy Stute. Oh yeah, the Stutes Lafourment and Brown line was fantastic. Connor Brown, though, it's so awkward watching him skate in person because you know he's put putting his heart out, but you're like, this is kind of sad. I will say about Stutzler though, man. If you ever, if anybody's listening to this and hasn't got a chance to see the Sens play live with Timmy Stu, do it next season because I was amazed watching Tim Stutzla dance around everybody with the puck. I was just sitting there like, this guy is amazing. Well, the thing is, is it's he skates incredibly smoothly, right? Yeah. Like effortless too. Effortless, yeah. Like when you're when you're actually in the barn and you could see him move on the full ice, you could realize that it's like, if he wanted to, he could probably take about three steps sideways and not lose speed, which is like doing crossovers. You all, most people just lose speed on that. While Stutzla has just the power in his legs to not. Yeah. I mean, when guys aren't going for his knees. Yeah. And that's another thing. And I mentioned this a few weeks ago is somebody went after his knees again in this game. I think it was fucking Dermot. I was so pissed. I was just like, why are you going after him? But Timmy Stu, God, he should have scored in that game. Like he got robbed by Halak. And I'm in the section going, how did you miss that? How, Tim? And Canuck fans are looking at me like, just like, how did he miss that, Ned? But it almost seems like he got robbed. Yeah. Robbed. I feel bad for the Canucks fans because Halak was dialed in he was and then his hand gets crushed yeah and you can see it because that's what the camera doesn't pick up is that once the the team goes the other way you see how he's just kind of doing something with his hand like this he's trying to he knows it's fucked as soon as Demko went on the ice I'm thinking oh Oh, shit shit. well Jamie McLennan on TV Jamie's like something's not right with Halak he is just moving his hand. He's not looking comfortable. And then the TV camera panned back to Halak. You see him like trying to adjust his glove. And you could see like Halak is pissed. He's screaming at the ref. The other line that I really liked in the Canucks game was Kelly Gambrell Watson. Yeah. And that's another line that I was very happy with. And Austin Watson, feisty little feisty guy in person. Like he was throwing his weight around. Like he, I think he knocked Tyler Myers on his ass. Which is hard to do. Yeah, like it was so good though. Parker Kelly looked fantastic. I, I do like Watson. The line looked pretty good, but DJ also shortened the bench, eh? Do you remember seeing Seneshin or Godet on the ice at all, other than the shootout for Godet? Uh Sicision, yes. I, yeah, I saw him a couple of times, but other than that. Sedition played four minutes, Godet played four, Tyranny played nine. Yeah, Tyranny, I played a little bit, and he missed one shot, and I'm just thinking, God, Amos is just... Amos 30 on Twitter is right. Well, Tyranny's, Tyranny's gone this season. Yeah, I, it's very clear, and I, it's been confirmed on the Wally Mathot show that the coaching staff doesn't like him. Tyranny doesn't like the team, so... Honestly, fair. But, like, the fact that the top line had a, just a complete off night and there was a line just ready and waiting to take the weight is something the Suns haven't had in a while. Yeah, but it's amazing, even in a shootout, how deafening the boos really were when the Suns touched the pocket. It was just yep. like... And, of course, we're sitting in our seats, and something Katrina brought up to me because she goes, the guy behind us was like, 
watches Goddard beats us in the shootout. <laughs> Goddard scores, and the next thing you hear is, oh, I was just joking, but oh, shit, okay. <laughs> By the way, the bands I want to mention right now, Katrina called it. Nice. Called that the Sens were going to win that game. Nice, nice. Yeah, because she we walked into the building, and I think the Canucks were on a five- or six-game winning streak, and she's just like, yeah, the Sens are going to break that tonight. Oh, yeah. Uh, the man of the hour was Philip Gustafson. Goose absolutely held his in there, but it's one of those things where the Canucks could not hit the net in the second period. No, they couldn't hit the net, but when they did, Goose was there. Like, the one thing is, is, like, Goose seems to be playing bigger in the net. Yeah. And that's one thing I noticed. Oh, 100%. 100%. Now, the final note I want to make on this game before we head off into the Blue Jackets game is that Katrina and I were walking back to our hotel, and we were outside the arena just waiting for the crowds to thin out a little bit. Yep. And we ran into this couple who immediately recognized us because we were staying on the Sandman right on... I believe West Pender, like right. right on the street that is across from Rogers Arena. Yeah. So there was a couple, I guess we were staying at the Sandman. There was a couple, I guess, across the yard from us. And she mentioned, she noticed this to me. She goes, Hey, there's a guy, there's somebody across the yard wearing sends gear. And I'm looking out the window. I'm like, Oh, right on. I guess they looked out the window as soon as I stood in the, in the window looking out and they saw me and they're like, they're pointing at me. I was like giving me the thumbs up. So I showed them the signs. It was them. Nice. The white or the girlfriend or what they drew from. I, I wish I got their names. They drove from Kamloops. Oh, that's quite a ways for the game. And so she was saying to us, she goes, I know you You guys are ones from the window. <laughs> and that was awesome. And they were like, yeah, listen, we're going to go to the shark club for a couple of drinks. You want to join us? And I said, you know, I appreciate that, whatever, but we had to catch the ferry home the next morning. So, right. So, and also got to ride in a Tesla the next day. Nice. Which I do want to give a quick shout out to my sister's boyfriend because it looks like he is going to be joining Tesla. Oh, that's day. sick, dude. So that's oh, good. Nice. So I don't have any more comments to make on this game. Nope. That's the Blue Jackets game, Timmy. Let's go. Sensors is Blue Jackets. This is a two to one Senators shootout victory. Sensors was scored by Brady Chuck. And the shootout winner was scored by Tam Jackets lone goal was scored by Jack Roslovic. Shots were 34-26 for Columbus. What a boring fucking game. Holy shit. Yeah. Jack Roslovic opens the score to make it one-nothing blue jackets. Brady Tuchuk ties the game up at one with a tic-tac-toe play by Norris and Bath. And Timmy Stoosla. Wins it in the shootout for Ottawa. So again, this is another game I had to condense watch because I was finishing up our Lord Boschman interview, writing that stuff up. For me, Philip Gustafson with 33 saves and a .971 save percentage, despite how little effort that or how much of a boring game this was, that save in the shootout, though. Oh, that was great. Well, the other thing is, is Parker Kelly just absolutely destroyed Merz Lickens, pulls it right around him, gets it to the empty net. Brady Kachek's skates weren't fully off the ice, offside, no goal. I get it. It's stupid. I don't like it. Video review never fixed anything. I know, as you've always mentioned. Yeah. Well, it's like Brady Kachuk's not part of the play. Brady Kachuk is clearly off the ice. 
why the fuck is that review reviewable? I don't know. And it just wastes so much fucking time to be like, I'm going to wreck a game. Fucking hate it. Shit. Yeah, but you know what? I gotta give a quick shout out to the B and B line for that tic tac toe play on the very shot goal. Oh yeah, that was beautiful passing. It was so good, so good. And Tammy Stu, shootout winner. Well, they also just dummied the Bjork stand line, who they were mostly matched up against. And whenever Roslovic and Voracek got stuck out against uh, Stutzla or uh, the Stutzla line, it was just not a good. It was not good. Again, pretty short bench with Tyranny and Ka- Tyranny, Catholic and Godet playing less than 10 minutes. So now we come to the fourth and final game of the evening, Tim. Canadians versus Senators. This is a 6-4 to four Senators victory. Canadians goes to scored by Rem Pechlik with two, Cole Caulfield and Joel Edmondson. Sens goes to scored by Mark Kasselik with two, Austin Watson, Parker Kelly, Josh Norris, and Alex Formanton. Shots were 48-26. Montreal. Ottawa parked the bus at the end of this one, eh? They did. An exciting and physical game overall. Montreal started off the game controlling the play and throwing the body. Ottawa were slow to get going, but were able to bring the physicality and get on the board, which they rolled to a W. And let me tell you, man, Mark Kastelik, first NHL goal, and how does he celebrate? He has a fight. Well, he doesn't even realize he scored, right? Yeah. Because like he just throws the puck at the net, it goes through Carey Price, bounces off the back, but bounces into into the back of the net and bounces out. And uh, <laughs> Saberit is there, and he's like pointing, pointing, and then like pushes it back in and just keeps pointing at the puck. And the ref's like, "Oh crap!" And then the arena crew's like, "Oh," and starts playing the goal music. First shot of the game, too. First shot of the game. You could definitely like, that first period. You could definitely tell Ottawa played in a shootout the night before in a different city. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things because they look so out of sorts in Montreal. Absolutely took it to them. But the one thing I really got to give it, though, they brought the physicality. This is just something that I always mentioned when we play Montreal is how chippy these games really get. And especially because it's the first game since the whole thing with Stutzla and I can't remember the guy. I think it was Romanoff or whatever. When he went no, after- it was fucking Gallagher. Gallagher, thank you. The whole thing in Montreal. And Suzuki needs Stutzla. Suzuki, thank you. That's what I was And talking. that was a dirty fucking play. Holy totally shit. Was. And you can tell they brought the physicality. I mean, the fact is that Gallagher and Stutzla well, Gall- went after it. It was just like, wow, like Timmy's pissed. Well, Gallagher, ref- like Gallagher and Romanov, we're getting their shit pushed in the whole game. Like Gallagher, and this is going to be my prediction after, like he refused a fight from Forbington and from Parker Kelly. Gallagher, by the end of his NHL career, is going to get Claude Lemieux. He's going to end up on the ice, curled into a ball while someone wails on him. Like yeah. the NHL is different than it was in the 90s, but someone's going to be tired of Gallagher's shit. And the fact that he won't stand up for himself and no one on his team will is going to end up with him just getting his shit pushed in on the ice. But how much of that is Gallagher or the team? Because the team's not built for that, right? It's Gallagher. Like, straight up, it's fucking Gallagher. And Romanov's softer than baby shit, too. Yeah, and that's the thing where I really hate Romanov, just because the guy will throw his weight around and he never answers the bell. Well, the funny thing is, he tried to check Parker Kelly, gets 
destroyed by Parker Kelly. And then Parker Kelly goes on to score a goal. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to remember who it was. Was it who went after Stutzla? It was it. Uh, it was Gallagher. No, not Gallagher. Was it not Romanoff? Somebody did. And Stutzla turned around and cross-checked him. And next thing you know, Brady jumped in. I think that was Romano. Sorry, no, that was Gallagher. Because that turned into a whole scrum and Ottawa ended up with the power play. Yeah. Like, I got to tell you, man. Fuck Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal, Ottawa. That's the real rivalry right now. That's the now. real rivalry. But uh, most of the action in this game came in the second period. Austin Watson tips, it, gets a beauty tip to yep. get that first goal. And then three goals in a minute seven to set a Sunders record. Yep. So good. And it was really funny watching on Sportsnet. They were like, yeah, as we were saying, it's been a fire drill in the Habs zone. And they and Castellick scores a second goal here. That was just a beauty play. You know what it reminds me of? Remember, I think it was game three against Pittsburgh in the 17 Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah. Where we scored and then right off the faceoff, we scored again. Yep. And then Alex Formanton moved. He ties first place for most shorties in a season. Sorry, in the se- most shorties this season. Yeah. Just good old-fashioned Alex Formanton. You know, what? I really got to give Parker credit. Parker Kelly credit on this one because he had a lot of shades of Guy Lafleur in that goal where he just took the puck, went down the ice and just put it where he wanted. Yeah. And like Parker Kelly's death. Like that's the hard thing with Parker Kelly is like, I'm not sure how much of this is going to like, can, is just Parker Kelly and how much of it is. He's just hot right now. Yeah. It, it, it's going to be telling next season because he's going to get a bigger role with this club and we're going to find out what he's really made of. Yeah. For sure, for sure. So, yeah, I really don't have any more notes to make on any of these games, Tim. If you want to head off to the close for another episode. I think we're good here. But, yeah, like, Ottawa just parked the bus in the third and rode it out. Absolutely, man. And isn't it great to have Stutzla just live rent-free in the Habs' heads? Yeah. Oh, okay, the only thing we didn't mention, this is Thomas Shabbat's first game back since March. You could tell there was rust. Yep. But it's just good to see him back. Really is, man. It really is. And it also gave Brandstrom a bit of a break. Although Brandstrom still played 20 bit. Like Shabbat Holden and Brandstrom all played 20 minutes. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the third line plug, Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because believe me, Tim and I, Love recording it for you. We're on the National Podcast Network. You find our page on nationalpodcast.network. You find our links to iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We're also on Twitter at Third Light Plugs or Twitter handle. Tim is at M901 Honey Badger. I'm at Great White Gipster, GR8 WITE Gipster. If you want to shoot an email to talk about the games, top of the hour, or you were also at the game in Vancouver and you want to give us a quick shout out, shoot us an email at gmail.com. Okay, Tim, so for the final episode of Season 5 for next week, we've only got three games on the schedule. We've got Tuesday night, we play the New Jersey Devils. Thursday, we play the Florida Panthers. And Friday, the Ottawa Senators travel to Philadelphia to close out the 2021-2022 season versus the Philadelphia Flyers. Oh, it's going to be some good games. Actually, one thing I noticed, I think Zaitsev was scratched for the Senators on Saturday. Well, that's good. Because of Shabbat Hamannick, Delzato Holden, Branstrom Zoo. Until next week, guys. 
I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jeffy. Go, Sands, guys. Woo! Saying that I